You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show episode 151, a very special Thanksgiving Day episode. All, of course, brought to you by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben! Happy Thanksgiving. How you doing, brother? Uh, uh, everything is delicious, especially Thanksgiving, when the whole point is eating. Uh, thank you for asking. No, it's it's a good holiday. It, the, not the best way to ring in the holiday, watching the Eagles film against the Seahawks. Not really a holiday spirit sort of event, but it's okay. We'll bounce back. Yeah, absolutely. So today is going to be the film review show of the Eagles' 17-9 loss to the Seattle Seahawks, which brings them to 5 and six and uh, a quick qualifier we might not spend too much time on the quarterback play in this one because me and mark schofield on the qb sco show episode 42 we have plenty of quarterback tapes in there we broke down plenty of plays from the offense and the and the passing game in there as well but ben since i got a chance to sound off so much on that with mark i'll leave the floor to you if you want to address some things that you saw on tape that maybe we haven't addressed on this network yet yes yeah, a bad carson game <laughs> end of the world and they should never have paid him you know like it's it's he didn't play well he, he was down two linemen the team was down their primary running back and he was down three wide receivers uh, he was playing with rookies who struggled i actually thought that like this is a take for later in the show i thought i think widespread had a much better game than i realized yeah on the uh, All-22 film, I think he had some really quality reps. He also had some bad reps, which were highlighted by the fact that Carson threw him the ball on those bad reps. Uh, and, and he made some significant mistakes. Maybe playing with a rookie receiver, playing with Greg Ward, who, you know how we were all like, oh, wow, Greg Ward uh, is a thing. Well, it turns out the Seahawks just weren't covering him. Right. So maybe not which... as good as we thought for Greg Ward. Um, and then obviously Jordan Matthews, who was cut, and Matt Collins, who barely played. So the circumstances around him were not good, and then he didn't play well. So I feel very much on Wednesday, as I did on Monday, that I didn't think that this was going to be a good offensive showing from Carson once we knew what the extent of the injuries were, and then it wasn't. And yeah. and, and he made some significant mistakes in terms of ball security, uh, in terms of, of pre-snap determination versus post-snap processing, and in terms of pocket management, that led to bad plays. But you're lying to yourself if you think that just happened in the Seattle game. It's been happening for his entire career. And it's part of being a football player is having things you're not as good at and making mistakes on and leading to bad plays. Not everybody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. So it's um it, it was it was a rough game for him in that regards. Uh, I know that you broke down the 
J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, fourth and two mesh route where, you know, Charles Davis and, and, and others were really quick to point out how inaccurate Carson Wentz's throw was, regardless of the fact that as we and, and later Dan Orlovsky would point out, Ortega-Whiteside was not where he was supposed to be. Uh, and Carson made what was rel- a pretty routine play that was uh, miscast as a mistake. Uh, Orlovsky also, if you haven't seen the video on Twitter, you can find it on my timeline, find it on Dan's timeline. Um, but he also walked through the, the third and sixth incompletion to Greg Ward, in which, yeah, you can tell on the All-22 that Greg Ward is late to break back to the football relative to the route concept, and Carson puts the ball at a spot where he expects Ward to be, and Ward was not. And then also the uh, third and goal, J.J. Ortega-White's, or second and goal, excuse me, J.J. Ortega-White's slant route, uh, which was incomplete, which again was a, a route where Ortega-White's did not move the way that Carson expected him to move. It's important to identify these from a pedagogy perspective. Ooh, fancy word, Ped- pedagogy. Well, uh, it would be pedagogical, really, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be pedagogy perspective, it would be a pedag- pedag- pedagogical perspective. I'm sorry for tripping you up. Please continue. <laughs> no, it's okay. Because we are quarterback obsessed Yeah. in our fandom and especially on the internet, right? Like, we want to know who the best quarterbacks are because it's the quarterbacks who matter. But when a coordinator coordinates an offense, when a coach teaches a position, there is a wholeness a gestalt there's a really big words in this one i guess there's a there's a a relationship that that exists between a quarterback and his offensive line and that's how we say uh you know sacks are quarterback stat well we say that because we're quarterback obsessed but what we mean by that is that it's not enough to say that pass protection belongs to the offensive line it belongs to the offensive line and the quarterback who manages the pocket and helps maximize his offensive line the same paradigm applies to the wide receivers and that passes do not just belong to the quarterback. And we accept this in drops. We do not seem to accept it in the case of inaccuracy. And so we're quarterback obsessed. We want every throw to reflect on a quarterback. And the reality is that it does. It certainly does. There's no avoiding that. But if we shirk the context of what receivers he's throwing to, how often he's thrown to them, and then especially in an offense like the Eagles, the relative site adjustments, route depth changes, the the reads and the throws against leverage that are made, we are in like it's not missing the 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 forest for the trees. It's just ignoring half of the I don't know what the idiom is. It's just ignoring uh, half of the equation altogether. Like we want to be able to figure out which quarterbacks are good. That's like that's like I would say the number one thing that football media attempts to do is figure out who the good quarterbacks are. That's mm. the, the the primary brunt of our efforts. In doing so, we forget that sometimes twenty two year old receivers who are playing in a new system for the first time don't go where they're supposed to go on mesh routes. And and if we firstly don't acknowledge that that's possible, second don't acknowledge that. Most people don't realize that watching it, and some people do. And then thirdly, accept that the people who watch it and understand what it means have some layer of expertise that we don't have, then we're going to be ramming our heads into the wall of what we talked about on Monday. Why did Carson Wentz suddenly forget how to throw a hitch route? Why did he suddenly forget how to throw a crosser? Because that's where we are, right? It's like, oh, turns out Carson's way worse than we thought because he can't throw a hitch. I really think the easier explanation is the receivers weren't where he thought they were going to be, and that's a problem, and other people believe that, and they're smart, and they've played quarterback at the NFL level, and they've been NFL analysts for a while, and this is the what happened, and like that's okay, you know? So I don't want to repeat the arguments of Monday, but it's like Carson didn't play well. The receivers didn't play well. This led to a proliferation of bad plays. 
the blame belonging on many shoulders to varying degrees of percentages that neither you or I know. And that's nuanced, it's complex, and it doesn't give us something to yell about in 280 characters, but that does not mean that we should ignore it and cast it aside. Just yeah. because it does not give us a nice, clean, and easy take up against which we can measure other takes and argue with people does not mean it is not valuable. Rather, I think it proves that it is valuable. It is more interesting, and, and this is why I said it, it's pedagogical. It teaches us about the game, and that's what's fun. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I don't think that yelling at other people is fun. I think learning about the game is fun. That's me. Um, yeah. So so that's where I fall in it. I've well put myself to bed with my frustrations on A, how Carson played, and then B, how it was interpreted. So yeah, it's like, you know, this is the last we will speak of it, and then hopefully he won't look as bad against Miami. We won't have to deal with this again. Yeah, hopefully he can get I've on never wanted Nelson Aguilar to come back to the starting lineup more in my entire life. As much crap took, as he it gets. It took one week of no Aguilar. I was like, <laughs> get him back. Extend him. I don't care. <laughs> Overall, looking at this this offense, and again, I covered a lot of this with Schofield on uh, the episode forty two of the QB Sco Show. But maybe we can maybe we can talk about some other players on the offense that aren't directly related to Carson Wentz. What did you think? Because I want your opinion before we look at a couple plays here, since this is a film review show. What was your take on Miles Sanders' performance, absent of Jordan Howard, him having a bigger role? As, as a runner, just as a runner. Just as a runner, right? So he's getting better. He's still yeah. not great, uh, right. but he's he's getting better. And this is, you know, this might end up being a podcast where you and I do a lot of, as we said before the draft, but <laughs> as we said before the draft, this is a one-year starter who lived in a RPO world for Penn State. And now it's different looks and the Eagles are figuring out what works best for him what he understands best and he's also learning the the, the phrase that kept coming to my mind was I was watching him he's learning how to trust it right mm-hmm. like there was you know backside zone stuff that in the beginning of the year like he would just bounce it right away and then he's running it against Seattle and you can see that he's just sitting there waiting for the hole to open and that's not even like patience it's just learning how to like understand this block is gonna develop I have trust right. in 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 Isaac Samalo, Jason Peters, Dallas Goddard, whoever it is, I have trust in this player to get his job done so that I can execute my job. That's just, that's that's growing in an offense. That's growing in your starting reps. That's something you learn over time. And then especially it's something you learn as you transition to the NFL, you become accustomed to the speed, you become accustomed to what the plays look like in a new system. He's growing acclimated. Now, would it have been better if he was acclimated by week four? Yeah, but that's an unreasonable expectation, in my opinion, to put on a first-year starter. Uh, and that's why Sanders was, for me and you, later than a second-round value. Because there was going to be time for this guy to develop if he developed at all. He was right. inconsistent vision, inconsistent decision-maker. If that was going to improve, it was going to take time, and it doesn't always improve. So we're we're hopefully seeing that, that growth process. Sanders is nowhere near ready to be a, a, a bell cow type player. And you can tell that. I mean, in the, the weeks of the Jordan Howard injury, he's been a starter. He's had 11 carries and 12 carries, uh, so 23 carries over two weeks. That's about what he was doing in the beginning of the season anyway, when the right. Eagles were figuring out, you know, if he or Sanders or he if Howard should kind of be the primary runner. The They're still trying to get him targets, but his efficacy in the passing game has dropped. Teams are not letting him get deep down the field anymore. So they've got to figure out a way to get him back on the explosive passing game because he is their best option as an explosive receiver right now. But as a runner, he's improving. He's not there yet. He's got some good flashes. They ran a lot more like traditional power 
mm-hmm. like like two polars and stuff with with the jet motion, which was fun and was new and was interesting. He ran that relatively well. He likes the man blocking concepts. He sees the rail and he runs it, and that's I think easiest for him right now, and it's good. Yeah, and I think two rep, two reps that we can look at real quickly because I wanted your opinion on these. I, I I thought a bad rep or at least one that you could critique because I thought there was a crease there. If you go to first quarter, eleven eleven left in the quarter there. Second and three at the Seattle. 36. This is one I put this up on Twitter and some people kind of kick back saying, where is he supposed to go? I mean, Wagner is probably going to close off this inside lane, but you can tell Sanders kind of takes a jab step there. He's got two hats on the outside. This man does not care about contain sometimes and he just wants to bounce this. Now, he's fast enough to get around the first guy, not fast enough to really beat the second guy before he goes out of bounds. But I thought this was one where he could have cut it inside. And if Siamalo gets a decent block or a decent piece of Wagner right. here, that he's got a crease he can work through. Right. If Wagner makes the play, then it's a good play by Wagner, but it's the correct read by Sanders. Right. This is, you know, when when you on alignment on wide zone, when you have a B gap bubble, which is what you have, you have a defense attack on the A gap and then an end in the C gap. This is, you, you're initially reading the B gap. And absolutely, it's Siamalo's job to seal off Wagner. He fails to do so, but Sanders should have, should have hit the B gap. The thing about Sanders is like, he gets to the outside. He wins against Contain in a way that he should not be able to win because he's mm-hmm. ridiculously quick and explosive, right. and he picks up two yards. So, like, this is why, you know, this is a, in structure. He should have gone up in the B gap and picked up two yards. Rather, he chooses to go outside of structure, and he picks up two yards. This is the the balance of a great national athlete, right? It's saying, like, this is what you should do, but sometimes, you know, like, defenses are built to beat you on what you should do, and sometimes when you don't do what you should do, it ends up really well for the team, and that's a good thing, but also you still have to know how to be disciplined and work with your blocks at times. This is the balance that you have to figure out when you have a, a, a such a young and exciting player like Sanders. And it's not all negative because on the positive side if it's not there he's got the athleticism to be able to create yards for by himself which is nice so i don't want to be too harsh on him but then let's let's go to to a good run i thought let's go to third quarter 356 it is second and nine at the philadelphia 34 this is going to be a 14 yard run by sanders so what you're going to get as soon as sanders gets the ball here he's going to press the line is this uh is this the backside zone play the backside zone play yep yeah, yeah, yeah. so you've got matt Pryor and vitae creating displacement along the line there they're just going to add a guy to the wall by shoving him down and then uh vitae gets up to the second level really nicely by the way goddard and Ertz are going to wash down as well and Ertz is going to get to the second level sanders presses reads the hats Gets backside, gets upfield, and this is really nice here. He cuts at speed, which he's always been able to do. Cuts at speed, makes the first guy miss, which he has struggled with all season. Even though he's a space player, it's not. it has not been his best asset. And, you know, Sports Info Solutions and the analytics and whatnot will back that up as well. Makes a cut at speed, makes a guy miss, then meets contact as he's kind of off balance, but regains himself, turns his feet for some extra yards Really solid run by Sanders. Not sure you could expect more on that one. Right. And this is the nice thing about the Eagles backside zone game here where they have right two tight ends to one side. The back is to the same side. And then they read zone from the weak side a gap up, which is like we talked about this with same side power. When you see the back line of the quarterback's right and you see zone footwork, you're expecting the ball to come to the left. Then all of a sudden, the Eagles use their two tight ends to climb up to the linebackers, hit it backside. It's a ton of space for Sanders. This is nice. This is how you want. Sanders on this play. Howard, you might want him between the tackles. This is where you want Sanders, is you want him coming all the way to the backside. So I know I agree it's very nice. I they came out of the half. This is the second drive out of the half. The first drive out of the half, they opened with two runs by Miles Sanders, eight yards and seven yards. And they were both two tight end sets, 
zone runs and Sanders cuts up backside on the first one. And I believe he stays front side on the, the second one. That's the play where I was impressed with his patience, but he this does. is, this is, this is something that they did not do a ton in the first half was the zone style running. If you were following me on Twitter, yep. you saw that I kept on saying, Oh, Hey, it's wide zone. Yep, it's wide zone. <laughs> it's split wide zone. It's what, what are they doing? Where yeah, is, this is not what they typically do. And you were expecting a play action shot off of it. It never came. They came out in the second half with a much more familiar concept. Also, Matt Pryor was in instead of Dillard. And I think that when you look at the first half running concepts versus the second half running concepts, it goes back to Dillard being in because the movement that Pryor and Vitae are able to generate on these double teams, those are some thick young boys right there, is significant relative to Dillard. Firstly, Dillard working double teams, objectively bad. Dillard working double teams from the right side instead of the left was awful. He did not execute a successful combo block in the first half. So you had to get him out of there if you wanted to double up the right side. And the Eagles wanted to so they could run these concepts. So that's, I think, why you saw Vitae taken, or Dillard taken out. Don't think his pass protection helped, obviously. But it, I would say, given the fact that we didn't see the passing concepts change that much in the second half, but we saw the running concepts change a ton when Dillard went out. I think they moved Dillard. Jeff Stallon, the offensive line coach, is the running game coordinator so that they could come back to this inside zone and work the backside, and they were immediately successful with it. So this is, you know, again, this might like you know be a podcast where Ben and Mike talk about pre-draft takes. Dillard rarely came off the ball as a run blocker in college, and when he was doing so, he was not double-teaming cats. Combo blocks are hard, yep. really, really hard. In terms of things that are difficult to do that people at the NFL level that people like don't appreciate – Two 330-pound guys successfully moving in time and in harmony with one another to meet another 300-pound dude and then exchanging him to one of the other players so that the second player can go somewhere else is really difficult. The timing and technique required for that is really nuanced. Yeah. And it's something that is going to take Dillard some time to pick up. And that's a great point as far as why we saw certain concepts in the first half that made you an upset because it didn't match Sanders' skill set. In the second half, they revamped the offensive lineup and we see more outside of the sprint draw concept, which whatever, we've, <laughs> we've talked about that. But outside of that, we saw more concepts that kind of utilized and highlighted the strengths for Sanders and kind of hid the weaknesses. So ongoing thing here, Ben, any over any other overall takes or takes you wanted to get to uh, about the offense before we kick it over to the defense? Certainly. So as I said, I, I thought that Arthega Whiteside had a better game on all 22 than I thought on the uh, broadcast copy. One of the plays yeah. that I would like to bring up to that point is that uh, opening third quarter drive, which would have, uh, uh, excuse me, not the opening third quarter drive. It's the second drive, 122 left in the third quarter. You'll see JJ Ortega Whiteside lined up uh, on line of scrimmage, outside wide receiver. Oh, I this is where he's going to apparently play for the rest of the season, right? Matt Collins is, is officially not taking that many snaps anymore. Jordan Matthews is gone. Artega Whiteside is going to be the outside receiver opposite Alshon Jeffrey. It's a really, really nice route by J.J. Artega Whiteside. So again, third and 14, we're in a clear passing down. The Seahawks initially show press coverage with Trey Flowers. At the snap, we get a bail technique. So we're in the half turn. When a corner's in the half turn, our hips are pointed downfield towards the middle of the field so that our our bottom half can seem like it's running down the field, but our shoulders are turned so we can look into the into the offensive backfield and our head can check on the wide receiver. This is the half turn. Which the Eagles should do more of, but go ahead. What, what this means is that Trey Flowers' back is to the sideline. Third yep. and 14, J.J. Arthiga Whiteside is trying to get 15 yards down the field and turn around, come back for the football. He does a really nice job stemming towards the inside of Trey Flowers. 
to keep space between Trey Flowers and the sideline. When he gets about 10, 11 yards down the field, he stems outside of, of Flowers. This is now working into Flowers' blind spot. In yep. half turn, this is the area where Flowers cannot see you. This initially looks to Flowers like Arthur Whiteside is trying to get outside of him and get upfield. Once Arthur Whiteside gets into Flowers' blind spot and sees Flowers turn his head and turn his hips to run downfield, we hit the deceleration button. Watch how quickly he whips his head back to the, the yep. offensive backfield. He knows this ball is coming. So before he's even ready to catch it, Eyes back to go locate the football. Carson gets hit on this play, and the ball skips to Ortega Whiteside. This is a beautiful route against yeah. the Seahawks. Corner two, who is likely yeah. who he's going to be seeing when Alshon comes back and is healthy. Ortega Whiteside's bread and butter coming out of college was going to be, oh, he's a contested catch guy, he's a fade, and the jump ball, the back shoulder, and whatever. But working this comeback sequence is important and something he was successful at, working to the blind side. This is a good quality route, understanding the coverage, getting to the spot where he was supposed to be. This should have been his second third down conversion on this uh, in the third quarter. He had a third and eight conversion where he also ran a nice in-breaking route against uh, off coverage. This is a good look, and what they should continue building off of for Artega Whiteside is this intermediate breaking passing game. think he's going to be successful there. So I, I was impressed with that. Isaac Samalu. It's now starting to get the two back-to-back bad games. That's annoying. Yep. Jason Peters struggled. Yeah. Jason Peters has been struggling for two years now. Jason Peters is old and has been injured, and it's been time for him to retire for a bit, and he's likely going to retire after this season. Yeah. And Andre Dillard's going to step in, and that's okay, and that's fine. But it is a bit of an issue with Peters right now. He's getting beat up by Ziggy Ansah. It's not great. Oh, besides the so the Greg Ward thing, I said the Eagles didn't re- the Seahawks didn't really cover Greg Ward. The Seahawks were so cool with the Eagles completing flas- passes into the flat. That was the yep. best thing. They were so happy about it. This <laughs> that was the game plan. It was we're gonna keep numbers inside the box, inside the inside the our defensive ends, namely, so we can fill against traps, we can fill against double teams, and then we're gonna ask our strong side backer to bail to the flat against the number two receiver while not capping him. So it's not like the strong side linebacker is head up on the number two receiver, the slot receiver. No, the, the strong side linebacker, he's in the box. And he's going to, once he reads pass, try to bail to the flat and get underneath quick breaking routes to the flat. There's no linebacker in the universe who's ever been able to do this. But when it's Greg Ward in, in the in the flat and you trust Bobby Wagner, Michael Kendricks, and KJ Wright to rally and tackle, sure. Yeah, the Eagles got a couple first downs on it. Didn't really help the offense, did it? Um, So Greg Ward... <laughs> My my take on Greg Ward's play is this. Greg Ward successfully did that, quick flat routes, jet sweeps, which the Eagles ask Nelson Aguilar to do when Aguilar's mm. not playing well, right? Yeah. It's like the whole like, okay, that was well. last year. That was a whole beginning of last year. That's right. what they asked Aguilar well, to do. Well, that's the thing is like, you know, whenever Aguilar, you know, like fails to get multiple deep shots and can't win a contested catch, we they always fall back on from a scheme perspective and then from a narrative perspective in the pressers. Well, you know, we like to get him touches and he's good underneath guy and run after catch and you know the jet sweep and he's a valuable guy to our offense moving out of the slot. Greg Ward was able to do all of that. He's no better than Elson Aguilar at it. He was able to do all of it. What matters is that Greg Ward costs nine hundred thousand dollars <laughs> or something what? like that. Nelson Aguilar costs literally 10 times as much. Yeah. So that's the thing is like, I don't think Ward did anything that Aguilar doesn't do. I just think that Ward costs measurably less. The value for the evaluation versus valuation. Yeah, right. it, it tips the scales. I got to look. What's, what's Greg Ward's actual contract? I think he might be making more than a million. Oh, no, he's not. He's definitely not. Oh, definitely not. No, he's, not as a practice he's, he's, guy. He's making this year <laughs> 500,000. 
So Nelson Aguilar literally costs 19 times what he costs. I thought you wanted Nelson Aguilar back, though. Who told you this? You you told me at the beginning of the show. You said you never missed right. uh, Nelson Aguilar. Well, more. just because like they'll actually know where the receivers are supposed to go. Okay, okay, okay. Or take a wide side, man. Like, like I said, like, he had some good routes, and he he, did? And, he and Jordan Matthews are just lost on some stuff. Which brings us back to like cross training receivers and how hard that apparently is. They had nine drives, not including the the halftime drive where. They did not have a score, and, you know, I, I credited certain things to certain parts, you know, scheme, quarterback protection, and then either execution or separation by the ball carrier, by the wide receiver. One of the things I did not have, the, only, the, the, the one I had on Wentz was the incompletion to Ortega Whiteside, because I do think that was a beautiful route. So encouraging sign from him, had a bad play on the fourth down. You know, these are things that hopefully get fixed. Uh, ben, before we get to break, I did want to tell, I, I told people I was going to tell this story kind of right, a yeah. follow up to what's going on with Brandon Brooks who had to exit the game uh with anxiety issues that that cropped up for him again it was an issue for him in 2016 missed some games and whatnot and it happened again in this game and he had to exit which is really unfortunate uh, obviously bigger than football all that stuff but I told you I was going to kind of tell you my story but the people that haven't suffered from anxiety might not know and and I get that because they haven't experienced but the the crushing weight and what that's like and how debilitating it can be and I've gone through long periods in my life where it had a huge impact for me personally like daily panic attacks and I'm not performing in front of tens and thousands of of people so to tell a quick story I've had my anxiety mostly under control for a few years now but for instance last year I was at the senior bowl and there was no practice one day due to rain. So I was at the hotel where they've got the film room and I'm sitting there with our friend Owen Reese and a scout from the Rams and we're talking about different offensive linemen like Garrett Bradbury and whatnot and everything is fine. And next thing you know, you know I feel the wave come and I, and I have to get up and leave because I knew it was coming. And I didn't want to go to the bathroom and be dry heaving in there and making a scene. So I hurried to the parking garage and I'm trying to like hide my face and it's probably pale as a ghost and I'm incessantly coughing into my hand and I'm hoping that I'm not going to vomit at the feet of like as I pass by John Gruden or something and I go to my car and dry heaved and like hyperventilated and basically freaked out for a good 20 to 30 minutes and just like praying it would end. Eventually I'm able to collect myself. I come back and as I'm going through the downstairs lobby all of a sudden like that metaphorical cloud comes overhead again. I'm thinking oh no like back to back this is going to be bad. Like I haven't dealt with this in a while. I'm going to freak out. And it's like in a public setting, this is crazy. But I see Ben sitting downstairs and we end up talking and I just come out and tell him what happened, which is something that like people that deal with anxiety, they, they don't always do. You know, you, you don't tell people that you just freaked out for 30 minutes in your car because I mean, I was ashamed. Brooks came out and said that he wasn't ashamed. And I think that shows the growth that he's had as a person from a mental health perspective, the help that he's getting for himself. I think that speaks volumes about that. But like myself, I was, you know, I was ashamed. You don't want people to know when you freak out like that. It's a scary thing losing control while this thing takes over both your body and your mind. So you don't go around telling people, but I told Ben and it just came out right and said it. And, and this was crazy, but here's what happened because I trusted Ben and I knew he wouldn't judge me and he would understand. And Ben doesn't know this by just by talking with him, that way that I started feeling just having that sympathetic ear and then being able to engage in a normal conversation afterwards without feeling embarrassed or judged. It made me feel normal again. And I was fine after that. 
So when a story comes up that Brandon Brooks has to exit a game and there's possibly a situation where he's having an anxiety attack, something that hadn't happened to him in a few years during a game, and you understand the, the, the sharing personal relationship that he also had with Lane Johnson and, and Lane's not there, and then you have to take into account that he's playing next to a wet-behind-the-ears rookie that hasn't played right tackle since he was 14, and he just signed a new contract, which he talked about, and he probably feels pressure to live up to that new set of expectations. And some of the tweets by, by some of the fans are just ridiculous, saying that, you know, he he just got paid. How could he have an anxiety attack? Like there's like a magic dollar amount that's a cure-all <laughs> yeah. for mental health. It's incredibly stupid. And, and, and I really hope that those people end up finding happiness in their lives outside of sports instead of relying on athletes of their favorite team to provide it for them. I truly do because that is no way to live life. And like, would you rather have the guy get the bag and not care? That logic doesn't make sense to me. And through a football lens, yeah, it sucks because not only are you missing a top tier right tackle, but you're also missing a top tier right guard. And that makes life difficult on the offense, but it's just another reminder that these guys are human too. And it shows how important those types of relationships are to people that suffer from these kinds of attacks. And I'm rooting like hell that Brooks bounces back, and I think he will, from stronger than ever. And he's done it once before in his career. He can do it again. So it's just one of those things that hits really close to home for me. And it, it, it's more important than football to me. So I hope sharing this story can maybe help somebody that's suffering right now. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. But I've never told that story before, and I also wanted Ben to know that he's the Lane Johnson to my Brandon Brooks, oh. which is something that everybody needs in their life. That's very kind of you, Mike. Thank you. We'll be back with more of the Kiss and Solak show right after this. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we are back here on the Kist and Solak Show, episode 151, SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak. We are talking about the film review of the Eagles and the Seahawks, and now we have to switch sides to the defensive side of the ball. Hey, look, man, there were some positive takeaways from this game. I thought the coverage was overall better despite some struggles in some spots. I thought they looked more like a cohesive unit, which was an issue for them picking up routes, uh, overlapping zones, things of that nature. There were some, some successes on inverted cover too, which, holy crap feel like it's Jake it's a Jacob's ladder fever dream you know okay inverted cover two we've talked about it a ton of times in this podcast before there was success on those routes we had people at us being like you see <laughs> well okay so firstly this is new. they've blown a lot of coverages in inverted cover two we can't right. there's no hiding that well this is this is that thing where you see it once and it's new and we've been saying it's bad this entire time and yeah. people automatically assume that it's been good this and it hasn't <laughs> right it's, so it's firstly it's it's i can definitely promise you it's been worse and it's been better i'm sure of it 
But secondly, you know, we, we, so we, we sat on the post on the pregame defensive show that it was probably going to be a big day for inverted cover two. Why? Well, it's because of the, the play action looks that you get and the crossers that the, the Seahawks like to hit over the intermediate areas of the field. If you can bring a middle of the field defender into that nebulous hole, 18, 15 yards of depth, you can take away those crossers. And then it's just a matter of tracking the deep route down the field, which has, of course, been a bugaboo for Philadelphia. But they did it very successfully against the Seahawks because when you get those two three-man route combinations, you get better sync from your linebackers. and You feel more comfortable with your underneath coverage. So the corners are able to bail harder deep down the field. They clearly, they, they, this, the, the way the Seahawks like to attack in the deep passing game is the sort of passes that the Eagles like to play inverted Tampa 2 against. And they understood the checks in this one. They didn't get any pitches they weren't expecting when they were in inverted two. Do you want to bring a play up while we talk about this and we can kind of put, talk about some themes as well? Let's go to quarter two, 1135. You're going to get a condensed set, which kind of helps the Eagles with the inverted cover two here. But like Darby and Mills do a pretty doggone good job of this. And what you're talking about with cutting that crosser, Jenkins is in that hole to pick that right. up. And that, you know, delays Russell's read and allows Brandon Graham to get a cleanup sack, you know, near the line of scrimmage. So this is exactly what we're talking about here. Right. And now I will say that the player who impresses me the most on this play and the player who impressed me the most in his efforts in zone coverage in this game was Nigel Bradham. Nigel yeah. Bradham is the Eagles' best zone cover linebacker. And it's that's been true, but it's been a while since we had a game where we were like, see? And this was the one. <laughs> he was yep. really, really good. So this is a play action look. Bradham identifies play action given the, the the action of the tight end and the action of the offensive line immediately, which is really, really nice. He's much quicker to it than on uh, Camus Grugier-Hill and Nate Garriard. Immediately bails back, identifies a crosser coming, gets underneath it. So we call mm -hmm. this roboting a crosser, right? You're going to rob underneath the crosser as the linebacker. And this is important because it eliminates the throwing lane. You don't have to know where the dude is, but you just know he's crossing behind you. You get your eyes to the quarterback and you move with flow and you're going to be able to make a play on the football. So this is what robs the, the initial crosser. Obviously, Jenkins makes a great play on it as well. And then, yes... Ronald Darby, bless his little heart. Last week, as we said, on the Philip Dorsett touchdown from Julian Edelman, he failed to adjust his coverage, even though there were no other eligible receivers to his side. This has been an issue with the Falcons game. He did this as well, where he failed to adjust his coverage, even though there were no eligible receivers in his side at all. In this case, he realizes it and is able to get on top of the upcoming crossing route, ready to make a play on it. This is really good example of right zone awareness exchanging routes and understanding where everybody's responsible for this is a great play that you brought up the other thing with bradham sinking here that matters and is interesting is the fact that on top of running inverted two which we call inverted cover two because it's a it's a two deep look and it comes out of single high but the single high safety comes down into the hole and then the two corners on the outside drop back so we call that inverted two we've heard it called cover three robber some people call it cover three robber we don't really know what the eagles call it why have we called it cover three robber well because it's really still a three high coverage because mm -hmm. of that whole safety right so you call it cover three robber because you still have three deep players okay reason i like to call it inverted two is because it reminds me of tampa two which also yep. people argue is a three high coverage because the middle linebacker drops down the the rail right he runs the seam and yeah. then you have the two corners on the outside technically playing deep halves but really they're a little wider than usual because you have that middle linebacker running down the seam so that's tampa two tampa for for Derek brooks and for brian urlacher who popularized it whatever 
inverted two gets you in the same zones as Tampa two with different players. Yep. On top of running invert two in this game, you know, the Eagles ran way more than they have the rest of the year. Tampa two. They ran Tampa two. Yeah. I mean, Uh they, they ran traditional Tampa two with Bradham dropping into the hole. And it was successful because, again, against the route concepts you typically get from Schottenheimer and the Seahawks, that sort of a, a coverage, you know, nebulous, too high, three high, with that middle of the field, 18 yards, just eating up crossers, taking up space, taking away that intermediate area of the field. And also, you're giving the corners room to, to run deep and, and a protection from under intermediate routes. That's what was most successful. So this was a game where the Eagles played far less traditional cover three than they usually do. Far more split field, if we're calling inverted two and Tampa two split field coverage, more than they usually do. And it was the appropriate call, and they were successfully passing off across zones. And that was great. That's the good news. The bad news. Eagles still don't have the personnel to play man coverage against teams with good wide receivers. And that's not something that, that goes away after a week of coaching. You know, you can coach out and film study and get rid of these inconsistencies across zones, but... You don't necessarily get it as easily. Uh, you know, you don't necessarily get good man coverage as easily, right? And then the issue that still stands up is that they have issues in man coverage with miscommunications, which should not be the case. Yeah. Because it's man coverage, and you should stick with your man. <laughs> should right. not be a difficult thing. But if we go to seven twenty-two in the second quarter, this is the Jacob Hollister missed touchdown. The Eagles are in man coverage. Hollister comes across, motioning across the formation. Jalen Mills ends up responsible for him. Four out of the five Eagles defenders are in man coverage. Jalen Mills tries to give Hollister away to somebody who is not there. Nigel Bradham's yep. playing underneath zone. Rodney McLeod's playing deep middle zone. And Jalen Mills keeps his eyes in the backfield. No idea what he thought somebody was supposed to be doing here, but everybody else was on the same page. And that's why Hollister yep. got wide open. People are like, oh, Jalen mm-hmm. Mills... He's playing better. This is Jalen Mills' fault. <laughs> Jalen yeah. Mills is in the wrong call here. Um, and obviously Mills has been injured, but the calls are not different. He's been with Jim Schwartz for four years now. So yeah. Mills could also run right. with Lockett or Metcalf. I mean, that's that's a problem. I, right. Metcalf is is fast. I get that. He can't run with he can't run with anybody. He just can't. I mean, he's a four he's or not, five player. He's not, he's not paying. He's not and he's not paying for it. So we do this whole you know results first process thing. I can't run with people, and he's not very good in press. Lockett beat him right off the line. You're talking about a guy who's super small, should be able to get hands on him, and he's getting stacked very, very easily. It's just, yeah, people are accrediting the 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 comeback of the defense. And I will say this. I think Mills, other than the play that you just documented, did show some cases of really good communication with the safety and getting on the same page with them. There's too many cases where he just can't run with guys, period. Right. So, and yeah, I think that if you go to, I believe it's the Seahawks' last drive in the second quarter. I'm going to go see if I'm correct on that. Oh, where did they get the big throw to uh, the kid, the Myers kid? Where is it? Oh, oh, more. Yeah. So it is. It's it's starting at 12:54 in the second quarter, and it's that drive. If you look yep. at just the um like the plays in, in sequence, first down run for three yards, second down play action, little rollout flat pass for a yard, and then third and six. Man coverage on the outside, Ronald Darby against David Moore, which is your best corner against their receiver three. 31-yard, beautiful ball by Russell Wilson. Darby's in good position, but we know Darby doesn't have great ball skills down the field. Completion. (laughs) First and 10 sack, second and 10 run. Now it's third and seven. You've got Jalen Mills against Josh Gordon. That's your corner two against their corner two. Gordon runs three-step slant. Completion, 10-yard gain, conversion on third and seven. And then when you get all the way down, back down to the third and six, that's a Jacob Hollister play we just talked about. So Eagles got into third, then you got into three third downs that were plus 
for the uh, the defense. Third and five plus. Advantage defense. In-man coverage on every single one. Every single one should have been a completion for a conversion. The only one that wasn't was the one that should have been the touchdown. And it was just a complete brain fart from a potential MVP candidate. So trading off zones is good. And and, it, and it, there's no doubt it's better than it was. And it's important. It's what led to the, the interception at the end of the second half. And it's what led to pass breakups and sacks. And it's great. But if teams think they can consistently beat you on third down against man coverage, they will. Mm. And if you want to play zone on third down, well, your pass rush has to get there consistently with four. And that's yeah. not what the Eagles have been doing on third downs recently. Jim Schwartz blitzed like a bajillion times in this game. He's been blitzing a lot more over the past couple of years. We know that this is the case. So the issues in man coverage playing matchups on third down are going to continue to haunt the Philadelphia Eagles, right? As much as you you can figure out your zone coverage, if you can't play man in the NFL, you're going to give up passing yards to the best offenses. And that's how it goes. I agree. And you talked about blitzing, and I do want to get to the, some of the sacks because the Eagles did sack Russell Wilson, what, six different times. And as you said, they blitzed a lot. And something that we argued for before the game was, hey, let's get Fletcher Cox right over Joey Hunt. And they did this a ton where they had Poor five defensive Joseph, linemen Poor Joseph, man. <laughs> Brother, did you see his PFF grade for pass blocking? Was it a six? 7.7. It actually was! <laughs> I didn't know that was possible. So let's go to we'll go to we'll just go to the first one here. First quarter, 1236. It's third and eight. You get you get five down defensive linemen. You get Jenkins sniffing around the box, and he's going to end up going going with the uh, running back. And they did some two on one funnel stuff with this too, where one guy could go or the other one could go depending on where the running back release. This is this is another play, but right here, man, Flush just drives the, the yeah. anchor. If, if he was a boat, his anchor would have snapped, brother. He <laughs> I mean, his left knee nearly snaps. It's left there. The, the other time, what was it? The the tripping call, and I put these clips up on Twitter. But there was another time where he clubbed Hunt so hard <laughs> it spun him into a tripping hole, a uh, tripping call. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Man. My favorite thing about this play is how Josh Sweat got credit for the whole sack because Fletcher Cox <laughs> doesn't technically actually get to Wilson. He just pushes Hunt into Wilson. And it's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, the point it's you brought up with the funnel is good though because I think Wilson didn't really kill the Eagles with his legs, and the Eagles got a lot of pressure and the answer to why is you know the Seahawks are keeping six guys in a block they're keeping seven guys in a block on play action the Eagles said listen I mean if you want to do it cool Mm. every time one of your guys stays in we're sending one of our guys like we are not going to be minus one in this game we're not going to let Wilson sit back there and then obviously you're in man coverage you're sending guys you're not really spying anybody that much they did have Jenkins doing spy things Bradham occasionally did spy things but they really didn't do it that much. It was just, we're going to send guys into rush lanes. We're going to fill every rush lane. We're going to occupy every blocker. And then, Wilson, if and when you break, there's going to be plus one guy available. And there's going to be a lot of hustle. And we're going to rally up and tackle. And they just did a really good job rallying to Russell and tackling. Uh, so I was impressed with with the... the Sometimes Jim Schwartz's stubbornness is a little exhausting. This was but an this example game. where he said, like, listen, we're going to be plus, we're going to, we're, we're going to be, like, I was talking about plus one in the box. We're going to send one more guy than you have blockers, and then the rest of our guys are going to have insane hustle and going to make it to you. And that's how this is going to go. Let's get to Derek Barnett. I'm having trouble with seeing, I think, what other people are saying as far as, like, how he's playing, because I think there are flashes. But overall, and we could, like, some of the analytics here, and you can take this for whatever it is, and I don't, you know, this isn't gospel at all, but he's 79th among edge rushers in pass rush productivity. And he's fifth out of six between the defensive interior and edge guys on the Eagles. 3.5 sacks on the season. Overall tied 104th of 118 in his in his overall PFF grade. 
So I think it's an extremely valid question to ask if they're going to sign this guy to a to a fifth year option. I think they are, especially when you consider that Jim Schwartz absolutely loves the dude. I haven't seen the type of dynamic productivity that you're expecting from a first rounder. And when you look at what he's trying to do, we say that there's there's flashes. He's also trying some stuff that ain't exactly working because, I mean, he tried to spin earlier in the game or he just got flattened out. And I had messaged you before the game where I was like, hey, man, go to second quarter, 118. Watch this dude try to hit this cross chop. And, you know, cross chop something. If you watch the Cowboys, you see it all the time with Robert Quinn. You see it with DeMarcus Lawrence. DeMarcus Lawrence is an absolute master at the cross chop. Barnett on his cross chop, you know, he threatens upfield. The jab step isn't working for him. It doesn't activate the hands of the of the offensive tackle. And then he doesn't get the club in. And his feet aren't like necessarily – he tries to point the feet, which is okay. But he doesn't hit any of the, the rest of the move. I, I don't know where the development is for this guy because he can't just be a dip, you know, a speed rush and dip kind of guy like he was in college. Where his time in the snap up and, you know, the offsides calls come with that too. That's not going to be his forte in the NFL and it hasn't been. So he has to develop other moves, and he tried a lot more inside moves in this game and kind of has all season. He's just not having the impact that that I think a lot of people thought he would have at this point in his career. Would you disagree with that, Ben? Don't feel like I'm allowed to talk about Derek Barnett, but no, he hasn't. He won with snap anticipation and with surface area reduction. That yep. was never going to work as well in the NFL as it did in college. He was going to have to become better as a hand fighter and maybe get more bend and explosiveness athletically. He has not been anything. This is not a nice thing to say. He has not been anything other than what I expected him to be. And I'm sorry, because that's very like, look at me. People got, hold on. I want to, I want to make sure that people understand what your expectation of him was, especially coming into this season. What was the ceiling you put on him? An I have said guy? since he was drafted, he is an eight to six sack or six to eight sack player. What is he? <laughs> He's had six. Is he, sack, not bad? he had five sacks, two and a half sacks, and he was on pace for like six and a half that year. Um, and then he has three and a half so far this year. Huh? So what is he? Is he a double digit sack guy? Because what you want at 14th overall is to find yourself a pass rushing gem that's going to be right. a double digit sack. And guy. that's and the thing is like there aren't 32 double-digit sack guys in the league and so you can't sure. say edge one has to be but ideally your edge one is eight to ten and you know with with a few that are more than ten across the course of his career and and again i bring up pass rush productivity because he's not like he's just not like getting lucky with it he's right. not generating consistent pressures and so it's and, and and you know he was effective there in year one tackles are less scared of him on the outside edge track he's got to win more with inside counters and you know what? Like, that's not only going to be a process. As we saw with Brandon Graham, it can be bad, 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 good. You know what I mean? Yep. So, like, hey, we're nowhere, like, near off with him. It's just that Derek Barnett does not consistently win as an outside edge rusher, um, which is what was drafted at 14 overall. And we, hmm. it's okay to acknowledge that and say that eventually we're going to get there. Hopefully. You know, we have to keep developing whatever. So, it's not out of the realm of possibility, but we're in year three. Year two, if you don't want to give him, uh, you know, the injured year, which I totally understand. But he also had an off season that year two, which right. is like he had a full off season. And he's but. about he's about what again? He's about what he was and what was anticipated, which you know, at at fourteen, I thought was an overdraft, and that's mm. that's about as simple as it goes. 
Ben, any other takes on the defense before we hit the old dusty trail? Um, or just anything in general? Do you want to wish the the gentle listeners a happy Thanksgiving? Why wouldn't you? We are so thankful. For, yeah, we're no, we're very thankful for the listeners, even <laughs> when they misspell my last name multiple times in a uh, iTunes reti- re- a review. Yeah, it's the Kiston Solar Shell. Uh, it's a, my sunny disposition that f- fools the people, Michael. <laughs> See, it was a joke about the sun. Um, but I no, we're it. very thankful. Uh, and you guys know this, and we don't just take the opportunity of a holiday to express it. But if we haven't recently, then hopefully we get an opportunity here to say it again. We're very thankful uh, for the listening, for the reading, for the reviewing, for the interaction on Twitter, for the subscriptions, for all of the love. Um, you know, we, we got the best job in the world, and we're very thankful that you know, two years ago, it was trying to get here. One year ago, it was almost being here. And now, you know, we, we, we very much are here and we wouldn't rather be anywhere else. Uh, so thank you so much for following Bleeding Green Nation, for listening to BGN Radio, for interacting with Mike and I. We have an absolute blast out from us to you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed it, even though you didn't enjoy the game. The Dolphins previews will likely not be as intensive as it is a holiday weekend, and it is the Dolphins, but don't worry, we will get you ready for that game. So keep an eye out on your feeds. Of course, subscribe, and that way you'll never miss a show. Rate review uh, to the podcast as well. Like I said, we were just reading through some of them, and there are some funny ones, but not nearly as many insults as I'm accustomed to. So if we could get some more heaters, only on five-star reviews, of course, I would appreciate that as well. He's been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak, that's <laughs> S-O-L-A-K. I've been Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL. It's K-I-S-T. We will chat with you guys later this week. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. I did that on the last podcast. You didn't know that, so I figured I'd try to do it again. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. You're the scam guy. Never listen. P-G-N. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on? Oh, Mom. No. <laughs> no. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.